0: Right, right, right. We're back. We're back. Groveling apologies to everyone who has messaged us over the past few months. We are indeed back again for the Enduro World Series podcast. It's the 30th episode, which should mean that we know how to do them by now. But in all honesty, we've been that busy since the last one. I've kind of forgotten how to do one of these. Rory Cunningham is with me, as ever, Director of Sport for the Enduro World Series and a fellow very busy person i used to write a wee gag in here Rory, about you but i've been that busy sweating spinal fluid ahead of the season starting that i haven't had time so there you go
1: how have you been yeah no time in your busy schedule to think of any funny little intros rick but um yeah um good to be back um thankfully talking absolute nonsense comes pretty naturally to us so um Yeah, you know, yeah this is I it. think uh I think we'll be grand and uh maybe a bit rusty in the first few minutes but we'll we'll kick on and uh, I'm sure we'll be back to our usual uh absolutely
0: clueless insight in uh, a few
1: minutes
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's it isn't it it's like it's just sort of uh, clueless but never in doubt right (laughs) great now we've got a lot to get through here no one needs to know how the hot dogs are made of course but generally speaking I work up a bit of a script to guide us on these things and then you put your considered ramblings in and we kind of wander off down enduro bike racing conversation lane together but this one is going to be a bit different such is the volume of stuff that we need to get through I've just bullet-pointed it, um, and we can go through each thing one by one, hopefully being reasonably entertaining and or interesting throughout. You ready? Ready as ever. All right, here we go. Number one with a bullet is that the new season's nearly here. I mean, it's terrifying. We're two weeks away, really, aren't we?
1: Yeah. Um, the The start of 2022, it's uh, it's upon us, and obviously our, our home race, EWS Tweed Valley, uh, first weekend of June, so um it's fast approaching it feels like it's been on the horizon for oh, man, a long yeah. time and uh you know we're now two weeks out it's like that scene in monty python where the guy's running towards the castle and he's constantly running in the distance and then just suddenly arrives swinging his sword i feel like that's kind of where we're at with the event but um
0: i forget which the, like i'm not saying like it's a disaster but what's the disaster movie whenever your man's standing on the beach watching like the big wave come in and he just stands there watching it oh it's like that but with joy is it deep impact it is deep impact you're right yeah um so yeah like we should have already been to um tasmania new zealand actually to start this year that got cancelled um quite early on actually but halfway through last year due to covid travel restrictions things were looking really challenging down there so we made the call to not go which has meant that we've got quite a late start to the year probably the latest ews has ever started um and it's going to be starting here, where we left off last time, as you say, in the Tweed Valley, metres from your house. Um, what's it been like working on the race this year compared to whenever it was a brand new thing last year? Um, I'm guessing some bits, way, will be, some bits have be more straightforward. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a
1: good question. Obviously, I think you, you're able to base a lot of last year's um, learnings um, and you, you kind of use them in your plans for the following year, right? So I think from a, a course perspective, the things that worked well, the things that didn't work so well or we need to improve on um, are much clearer. I think as our second year, there's also a sense of expectation, not just from the kind of the outside, like the fans and, and the riders, et cetera, but internally as well to, to improve and build on it year on year. So, um, no, I, I think it's <laughs> I think it's all under control, shall we say. Yeah. Um you know last year the you know the course uh got really good feedback from the riders we had some mixed weather which was a shame but the the sun coming out on on race day definitely helped and um yeah i think from from that side of things it, it's yeah take take what you can learn improve what you can improve but ultimately um you have to be flexible enough on race week to just to you know um almost let it kind of flow naturally to a certain extent
0: yeah, and I think as well, like I just know from my from my end of things with um, the production and the video side of things, like it's actually been really interesting because you, it we've never before stepped from one event back into the same venue again. Do you know what I mean? So you, as you say, like I kind of know what's going to work and what's not going to work. We'll talk more about video later on in the podcast because there's got we've got some quite big things to talk about there. But um, nine rounds of EWS this year. It feels good to be back with a proper, full international race season again. Five EWSEs as well. And the Trophy of Nations is mm-hmm. back again, which that's that's obviously going to be a podcast in itself because that's a massive race in Finale Liguerie.
1: Yeah, it finally, it finally feels like the events world is coming back to normal, which is, is good. Um, obviously, we've got a slightly delayed start like you covered before, but... Um, you know it's a it's a bulky season we've got the i guess the three main blocks Europe block one starting here in the Tweed Valley uh, then we're over to uh the North America so we've got Whistler and then across to the East Coast for Burke in Vermont and Sugarloaf in Maine and then back to Europe for the final block um and then kind of culminating in the Trophy Nations at the end of the year so it's good to it's good to feel like the you know we've got a solid season we're not kind of dancing around uh the seaward which we have been for the last kind of couple of years and um yeah I'm sure it'll uh provide the exciting racing we're all used to so um
0: yeah it should be good I'm looking for I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to that second block in North America it's been a long time since we've been there uh really I actually I spotted on the site the other day as well there's actually a couple of entry's still open for that Whistler race if anybody fancies having a crack at it. Um, it's not a bad shout and certainly if you're going to go and race your bike anywhere in the world Whistler's kind of it, isn't it? But um, yeah, we've got two exciting for the first time ever. We're back to back in the USA on the East Coast somewhere that's really got some serious buzz around it. Um, I know we've we've covered in previous podcasts you've been out there, we've, uh, we've talked to some of the guys involved in those events those should be big events but then really reaching a crescendo at the end of the year in Loudenville which I'm really excited about because you know that's a venue that uh, we we featured last year for the first time the Pyrenees Bike Festival and I could already just stand at the bottom of it I can see a series coming down to that venue do you know what I mean it's just like the, the trails there and actually we're going to go on to talk about the new Santa Cruz Megatar in a bit that's where that was launched to the press. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the sort of caliber of trails you're talking about there. Just a great venue. And I, I'm, I say it a lot, but by grace in France is always good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Ludenville last year was, um, was incredible. You know, as a, a first time venue for the EWS, I was really, really impressed with the, with the setup. You know, the event organizers were, were spot on. And, and on top of that, the trails were amazing. Just long, very gravity fed. I mean, I think I wouldn't want to get this stat wrong, but I think it was like over 3000 meters descending. There was a lot. I remember that. Yeah. um, Which is massive. And uh, yeah, and and a stunning location as well. You know, the lake in the middle of town, just mountains, both sides, so much scope. So yeah, the perfect venue for the, you know, series conclusion.
0: There's a really good little random bar by that lake. that does really good. Mojitos as well, which I'm really excited about. But anyway, that's a side note. Um, EWSE this season, um, a big race on the calendar. I mean, it's a calendar full of big races, but quietly one of the ones I'm really excited about, EWSE Valberg, that is our first ever standalone e bike race. It's an area of France that is really pushing e bike racing as the future. Um, I think I've obviously I've. I've been doing quite a lot of work on the video stuff in the off season and looking back on a lot of the work we did last year as a reference point and it really feels that like EWSE is getting momentum behind it now and you look at the clips of the speeds those guys are doing out in venues like Crom, Montana and that just makes me really, really excited for Valberg as to what that race is going to be. Mm. I think it's in many
1: aspects for EWSE, for the Valberg race will be the, the kind of shackles off. It's not fitted in amongst the need to be s race um or on the side uh those guys the guys and the local organizers have a lot of experience um in riding and racing e-bikes and i think they're very much looking to use that event as a way to showcase this is what e-bikes can do um not to say that other venues haven't done that but um I think it'll uh, yeah. I I think it'll be amazing. I also think that, you know, we we talk a lot about e bikes and the technology and how quickly it's um moving. I mean, we've had we're in our third um iteration of Santa Cruz e bike. We started with a five hundred watt battery. Last year we were six two five, this year we're seven twenty and you know, we're comfortably getting, you know, twelve to fifteen hundred meters of elevation gain out of a battery and um you know the sport's only going to keep moving so long as that technology keeps developing and it's important that we develop the sport with it not try and put the kind of shackles on it too early and restrict it because we want that technology to improve and we want you know bikes to improve and ultimately that's what's going to improve the racing right is um is the kind of that cohesion between the sport adapting with the technology and and, and not the other way around so
0: one of my favorite bit of we used to mean we used to sort of have an ongoing joke in this podcast about nibbles one of my favourite like little nibbles from last year was um, Nico Vuyo at EWSE Tweed Valley worked out that he could use a smaller battery at one stage, clad it in what was it like camper van insulation? Yeah, it was like insulation. Yeah. Because he worked out the temperature was lower, which would mean that he dropped. Pop- and you, that kind of attention to detail is now in the, is now in the sport. You look at like um, in finale last year the tech zone that was in Pietra you know the guys were coming in it was like a MotoGP session they were straight off the bikes there was mechanics setting about them with hammers whilst they like sat down in the shade with iPads to look at the next stages and then back on the bikes and away again and you can see it and it I think people get hung up on is this going to replace enduro is this going to replace that is this going to replace it's a different thing altogether. and I think you're seeing it now
1: yeah yeah definitely I think I think as well like some of the techniques you use on the e-bike in comparison to, I mean, descend the descend is quite similar. I mean, with the extra weight, of the bike feels a lot more planted. Um, for the most part, I would say the descending skill or technique just translates over. It's only when it maybe gets quite choppy that you begin to notice the additional weight. Climbing is completely different, and I think that's maybe where people fail to kind of grasp fully what e-bike is. You know, it's not just going up the same mellow fire road climbs as your mates on regular bikes and then descending down the same trails. You know, we I take you out on some wild adventures around here and it, it's almost that sense of adventure and like, can you climb up that? You know, I got um from my house to the top of one of the U D B S stages um last week to do some mapping. And I think it was like 11 minutes. Yeah. And that's like 300... And I want to say about 330 meters elevation. Just basically went, there's a walking path straight up that hill. Could have go up it. Yes.
0: I uh, still I've that. had I've had one for two or three years now, and I still have to sort of recalibrate my brain on what you can do route wise. We went out the other night and we did like twenty miles, I think. Mm. And if you look at that ride on paper, and like you were telling me, Oh, we'll go here, we'll go there, and you're pointing this hill, like in the far distance, we go up the top of that and stuff, and you're like this is going to be yeah. big. And it is big, yeah. but it's a different kind of big. It's a different kind of experience. Like I'm, I'm really excited, as a say, for Wahlberg. I think that'll be a great race. And there are, there are entries still open for that. And that's one of the events that's still live. So you can get involved and head there. There's lots of different ways to race EWSC. Well worth checking out. Um, if you'd stand out round on the calendar you're looking forward to... Maybe unfair to ask, but is there one that you're sort of like... It's hard not to say the new ones, isn't it? Because I always think it's... I mean, every time you go to Finale, you're impressed about the quality of the trail there and what those guys can put together for a course. But I also find it fascinating to go to new venues and just see what people with fresh eyes and you know who really know their own set of trails and their terrain, what they're going to come up with. And I think those two US rounds could be really interesting in that respect.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to the... I can't be biased, obviously, but I'm looking forward to the round in Sugarloaf in Maine, uh, namely because they've got a charity golf tournament on the Tuesday. Oh, geez. So, <laughs> which <laughs> no. you, you'll be you'll, you're you're going to be in our team. What? You're going to be in our team. We need we've got an EWS team, so play your cards right and get an entry. But no, I think th- I agree with you. Um, I think the new ones are always there's always that kind of anticipation around, um, you know, seeing what they bring to the table seeing how the event unfolds at the same time from a stress perspective it's nice to go to the venues that i've done it year after year after year like finale because you know they've got like a really solid team um but that, i think that's the i've talked at length about this but i think that's the beauty of enduro and the beauty of the sport is no venues like no venue are, are they're identical you know what you get in the tweed valley is going to be completely different to what we're going to get in Pets and Jamnica two weeks later. Mm-hmm. And then when we go to Val de Fassa the week after that, it's going to be completely different again. And it's how the certain aspects of the sport remain the same venue to venue, destination to destination, but yet they totally embrace the local riding, yeah. you know, the local terrain, you know, the local culture. And I think that's, that's something very unique. We're not trying to create one kind of, discipline that fits in a box that you can take to all these different kind of destinations it's like allowing the destination to showcase their best local riding and kind of bringing the the show to them and yeah long may that continue
0: Petson's fascinating actually as well because there were I think I'm right in saying there were two new very long trails that were put in when we were there in 2018 specifically for the event the EWS trail being one of them and it's it's always just interesting to go back to those venues and see what's happened to those trails, how they've matured, how they've aged. Um, a place close to your heart, of course, with your highest ever EWS result. Yeah, Is that right? Yeah. You're yeah, yeah. Where were you? Fourth, fourth. I remember because you didn't. Yeah, I remember thinking the podium was on at one stage, and then.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, I I really liked it. I th- I think it was. Um, it was one of those races where I kind of began to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I think it was so kind of raw and natural and. I rem- I remember the stage um at pets and like the ski lift stage being like it was like 16 or 17 minutes it was a beast it was a monster and you finished each day with that stage so i'm sure the race
0: time was close close to an hour which is just a monster and um that was a big race because that um the last time we were in pets and jam uh uh i remember it was a year where i'm gonna scud myself now we like any media recce we had was in bright sunshine and perfect trails. And then for the race, it rained. And Petson was one of those ones. Um, Chris and I were still doing the um, course previews together at that stage. And I remember riding this just like perfect powder dirt. And then by the time you guys got to it, it was just like, just grease. And it was quite a big, it was quite a big course, I think as well. It was was quite a big total distance, if memory serves. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, it was really kind of cream rose to the top. That was, of course, race was famous as well. Vid Persak came to our attention then. He was a local kid who everybody was talk. Like, there's always, there's always one local kid in these new venues that everyone's talking about. And it's always very, it's, you know, you know yourself from the Tweed Valley. It's great doing it in the Tweed Valley, but to sort of paraphrase Alex Ferguson, could you do it on a cold, wet night in Hull? Do you know what I mean? It's it's not Stoke. Stoke might have been Stoke, yeah, but like. <laughs> It is. It's one of those things that you can be a home trail specialist, but doing it, you know, somewhere completely different in the bike park in Whistler or wherever it is, is a different thing altogether. And Vid is one of those riders who, all of a sudden, yeah, could do it. Like was one of those talents, so it definitely produces fast riders.
1: Yeah, I think it was a, a lot of the stages there as well, based on the terrain and, and like you say, how they evolved with the, the volume of traffic down them. What you rode in practice and what you raced were all were quite often very different. You know things coming out you had to you had to race kind of head up and not try and ride the trail in your memory or like your memory of practice there was a few key sections you could definitely kind of you've,
0: you've talked about this before them. where where do you think changes the most that we go to because i'm guessing somewhere like finale doesn't really because those trails there's a lot of rock mm. there's a lot of like high traffic trails that i guess are kind of they are the way they are. But then you talk about somewhere like a Petson where the dirt level's really high. There's a lot of dirt. There's a lot of lines form as practice goes on. Where's where's the most changeable, do you think?
1: Petson, in my recent, like in recent memory, Petson did change a lot, but then it was a first-time venue. So a lot of the trails are fresh and it'll be really interesting to see how, like you said, how they've developed over the last kind of three, four years. Um, certain venues like Finale, Whistler, I mean, Whistler changes quite a lot, like the Blackcomb side, like the natural trails, yes. but it I wouldn't say it's that the trail develops, it just kind of degrades a little bit. Um, Finale, for example, like every trail change between practice and race, it'll get a bit looser, the holes will get a bit deeper, the main line will get a bit more, you know, munched out. Um, but a lot of it can also depend on the weather. Obviously, the more... The more kind of rain we have, precipitation the more the more the trails degrade, but also saying that if there's absolutely no moisture in the dirt and it's yeah. just dusty, you know what I mean <laughs> some wind will come through and the trail will be on a different hill so I think it it, it depends there's there's definitely it's, it's easier to think of venues that are reliable and don't change that much kind of practice to race like finale like you mentioned Tweed Valley to a certain extent won't change a huge amount.
0: Well, the trees are too tight for it to change. There's too many trees that you can't yeah. you can't make it any wider than it already trees. is. You can't move the trees. I'm just trying to think
1: of um, venues we've got this year. I mean, and also like some venues. I'm just thinking in the order of the calendar. Valdefasa, things like the Ridgeline Trail are a little bit more well, like better established. You would say like it's ridden kind of um, yeah. The Twitty Fruity State. Yeah, thanks, Rick. The Twitty Fruity Trail. Um, that's kind of worn down to like a kind of good kind of hard pack in a few areas. But then the Titan stage on the kind of opposite side of the Valley was, I mean, we rode it, it was fresh and smooth and amazing. And by the time they did the second, second run of that stage, it was properly chopped out roots everywhere. So a lot of it depends on the trail. It depends on the weather. It depends on a lot of things, but um, it's that ability as a, as a racer to, to kind of understand that almost anticipate that the trail is going to be different. <laughs> not slow down but kind of ride what you see in front of you, not what you remember from practice. And I think that's kind of what separates the top racers from the kind of next tier down is that just that comfortable or that comfort at riding a trail that's almost new. Mm-hmm. Um it's 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 a skill that's not talked
0: about enough. All right. Well speaking about talking about things enough, let's talk about our new video model then, shall we? <laughs> So the good news is, if you are watching this on the EWS YouTube channel, or you are one click of a button away from subscribing, we are going to be producing, and have already been producing actually this season, a lot more videos more often, um, both throughout race weeks and outside of the race, and trying to tell the stories that we've not always been able to tell with a traditional highlights model. Um, GMBN will still be getting involved. You'll see a lot of those guys at the races. You'll see a lot of GMBN tech too, trolling the pits. Doddy and Anna will be there. But we have um, a brand new concept to announce, the EWS show. This is going to be released at the start of the week post race and will be a detailed rundown of what went down, all the action. We're gonna break it down, chat to the pros, bring you all the latest tech deep dives, look at maybe the stuff that was slightly odd, slightly quirky, give a bit more coverage to things like the under twenty ones, the masters, the EWS one hundreds, the EWS eighties. Um, and that's gonna be on GMBN, Discovery Plus and the Eurosport app. So it's big news for us. It's taken a lot of work. Um it's still we're still we're still developing the concept and working the scripts through working the production through but it feels like i mean as someone who's produced these videos for years the big problem we've always had with the highlights model is who's going to win the bike race that's your that's your ultimate storyline is who's going to win the bike race but you'll know yourself that on the stages there are stories left right and center of just like incredible perseverance like heartbreaking mechanical disasters at ALN in Latwe last year whenever you know, she was on for her debut when like did the ankle on the first day but was still charging hard and only lost it I think on the last stage the kind of storytelling that we all talk about on the race side but often it's quite difficult to get out and get into those highlights mm-hmm. um, the next night so there's going to be this big new show that's going to be out as I say a couple of days after the race on the race itself we're going to try and bring you highlights action in a condensed form, as quickly as we physically can after the race. Now that's going to be, um, maybe a six to eight ten minute cut. However quickly we can get it out and get it to the quality we want it and get it online. That's going to be on Duro World Series YouTube. So you need to subscribe now. I I can't emphasize that enough. <laughs> subscribe so you don't miss it. Um. Also, depend on this when when this podcast goes out check out the channel for the What Happened Last Time from EWS Tweed Valley, the Victoria EWS Tweed Valley, because we have produced a cut-down version of the highlights package from last year. Try and sort of, A, give you an idea of what to expect quite close to the race finishing, and also hopefully just remind people because it was a pretty hectic race with a lot going on. So that's always really, really daunting in an off-season to work on a completely new model but i also think that i mean i like yeah haven't been privy to some of the stuff we want to do but i think it's going to be really really positive and um yeah it should be very very interesting mm. Not excited to uh tell you what excited to watch the first one mate. i wouldn't be like the, i wouldn't like to be the guy who has to present that um let's talk about something a bit less well i suppose it is work focused isn't it but the santa cruz megatar v2 um yours is haven't ridden it you haven't ridden it it's in tweed valley bikes waiting for you to ride it i've ridden mine um we're both really excited about them bigger faster meaner um it's almost worth an episode in itself actually but um just yeah i mean new bike day is always good isn't it but whenever it's a bike that looks like that
1: yeah no i'm excited to ride it um obviously you've done a little launch video and look to be going well so it must be, must be decent mate.
0: If, if I can look to be going anywhere above average on a bicycle the bicycle is working to the highest calibre of human yeah. endeavour but um, set up wise we've gone for tech controls last year we've got a new Prologo saddle which we'll tell you about at some stage. Are we allowed to talk about it yet? No. Um got Fox suspension, we've got full XTR which again is just as far as I'm concerned the king of group sets I've gone for a 32 tooth chain, chain ring, which I know really sparked a, an alpha male raise of the eyebrow from you, but I was out on it last night and it's absolutely premium. Yeah. Spin uh, those legs up I the hill.
1: say anything to help those hairy chopsticks you call legs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not that they're more like brush shafts, actually. Like, they're not like Yeah, they're probably longer than chopsticks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Broom handle. You've obviously gone for, I don't know what you're running, like a 42 or something, yeah. Biggest I've got. Biggest, yeah. And... Uh, Vittoria Matza Tires, two point six by two point nine, and reserve wheels just about as good as a modern mountain bike gets. I yeah. think.
1: Nah, no, I'm really really excited. Absolutely loved the last iteration of the Mega Tower. Um, you know, riding it last year all the events. It's yeah. I'm I'm just really excited. I, I like that they've been. I wouldn't say conservative, but I like that they haven't gone. They haven't. They haven't just you know gone completely mental with the kind of the new bike they've kind of gone right this is a solid package how do we improve it not how do we radically redesign new standard this new standard that it's just it's it's refinement rather than kind of redesign which i'm really looking forward to trying out i
0: think like i think that's it isn't it and i think like you'll know yourself from a lifetime racing bikes as well where santa cruz are punching very cleverly with this bike for me is that if i was a privateer And I was going to get to as many EWS races as I could. That's it's, I'm not saying that is the bike you would have. Like, it's certainly like, Mm. it's that type of bike that you can fix easily. You can get bearings in and out of easily. It goes together quickly. It's a quiet bike as well. There's no wasted energy. Like, the cabling is super easy on it. Like, you want a bike that's easy to live with yet fast. Yeah, they're not trying to.
1: they're not trying to do anything fancy with the bike. So a lot of a lot of bike brands guilty of, you know, putting unique shocks or yeah. unique builds or trying to implement a technology on a bike to make it unique
0: or something that you need a special
1: tool for. It. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily make it better. Whereas I like it, I like that Santa Cruz have just, you know, it does what it says on the tin. It's a refinement over a model that was really really successful. But it's uh you know you know it's just a uh, like you say it's it's just a perfect bite to grab and go racing so
0: um i was thinking this i, w- I had a similar conversation with a friend of mine and we were up, I was out on a ride with last night and i was saying all this about how i quite like the fact that it's an evolution not um you know a complete like limousine job and then i started thinking i wonder if there's one common I wonder if they will go for a mixed wheel size. Cause what is it the, the nomad's quite a long travel is a one seventy uh, two seventy five, isn't it, wheel machine? Oh, I yeah. wonder if um I just wonder if maybe there is a like quote unquote super enduro bike coming.
1: Basically the what do you think, like the bullet e bike but without the motor.
0: Yeah. Similar. Cause that bullet I've made this comparison before, like it's it's a Kamazi like Dakar truck, isn't it? It's one of those lorries that races at the Dakar and it's just like, you will not stop it. Do you know what I mean? Like if a deer runs out in front of you, you are cutting that in half. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, it clips on. And like I got, I was on that um, yesterday morning actually. And I had run it for a bit because I got the Megatar and was sort of playing with it and getting it set up properly. And I got back on the bullet and was just like, oh my God, like it goes it's just such a good bike. I'm
1: yeah, it's uh, yeah. you point it in the right direction and there's no stopping it.
0: Have you ridden your Heckler yet? No, I haven't. My Heckler is currently, I think it's getting built this week, actually. it's getting. Um, it took a while to get all the parts gathered up. But yeah, I think we should maybe do... Um, this is that time in the podcast where I promise a load of episodes that would be really, really good for us to do and then race season arrives and we don't get to touch them until the end of October, but... It'd be really good to, maybe after the first couple of rounds, sit down again and talk Megatar and talk Heckler. After you've had some time on your Megatar, I've had some time on my Heckler. And maybe get a bit geeky and sort of work out how we set them up in terms of suspension and what mine feels. I know that, speaking to Santa Cruz, they've done a lot of work around that rear shock tune because you missed the very, very first version of the the V1, was something that it struggled with slightly was a shock tune that would allow you to really make the most out of the mid-stroke, whereas this new bike, like, I got on it, and that is the, it's a Float X2 I've got that's in it at the minute. And you get on it, and it feels like a bike that you've been setting up for for years and have the shock rebuilt, do you know what I mean? It's just like, Mm -hmm. yep, that's fine, that works. So I'd be interested to see just, given your, slightly higher chosen pace how you might adjust things to suit but um yeah really excited about it yeah, me too. um video roundup on ews youtube we've got a lot going on there we've got great friend of the podcast zach johansson um bike check um talking about it it's actually a very interesting video because you do forget that he left ibis to go to ride for cube And then he came back to Ibis again. So he talks quite a lot about how the new Ritmo that he's on, he was on one of the early prototypes before he left Mm. and then went away and come back again. And it's a finished bike. And it's like, it's quite an interesting thing for him. Did you know that he, I can't remember if he said when we did the podcast with him that he runs different lever fields. He likes his back, I think it's his back brake. he said, to be really soft. Right. And the front to be really like, like firm, firm and yeah, yeah. again, I travel at a very different speed, but that sort of gave me the shivers a bit. And I couldn't imagine, like, oh.
1: yeah, it wouldn't be. A, I mean, I'm 100% with you. I like them to be both.
0: You, you said know, that as if like, I'm 100% a normal person. No, 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 I, I'm, I'm
1: 100% with you. Like, I want them both feeling pretty much exactly the same and to be, you know what I mean, absolutely as solid as they can. Um, but in saying that. He's not the first EWS rider that I know would run completely different setups front and rear.
0: Does Cody? Am I making it up? Does Cody Kelly run a really different setup as well? Doesn't he run a one really long, like one really long pull and lever? It might be. I vaguely remember talking to Cody about this because I think with him it came from BMX mm. because he raced BMX all the way through like his early childhood into his teens, and obviously BMX you've only got one back brake. Well, one back brake, you've got one brake. And that's only for like emergency. I'm in trouble dab, so you need full power in it. But he said he found it quite difficult to come onto a mountain bike with a front brake. Yeah. So he sort of has them I think he runs different gloves and stuff as well. <laughs> maybe maybe for the lever feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who else do you know
1: what has got different K okay, Winton, when we were teammates, had very different like our back brake was the lever throw was much further away from the grip. And um i guess
0: Bet mechanics love
1: that kind of more modulation the front brake was like right in and 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 close to the bar and they were at slightly different angles as well and um but it's it's just preference as well i think she from what i remember and i could be completely wrong with this i think it was like from it came from cross country and when she was when she was younger she couldn't kind of control the front brake as much so the front brake almost hits the grip and that was to stop her kind of grabbing it and going over that and, like, looking the front wheel and going over the handlebars. Yeah, yeah. and then her back brakes like, way further out because um, she'll kind of
0: primarily use that. But it's just it's just preference. I mean... My take on that would be the front brake... The front brake is the thing that will actually halt me from certain doom. And so I need that to work really, really well, whereas a back brake is kind of just skid. Yeah, but
1: if you think about it, like, people have... You know what I mean? People have got all different hand sizes and, you know, there is People only, do have different hand there sizes, only, so much adjustability in a lever um yeah. you know what i mean that like so i
0: remember years ago tracy mosley told me that she whenever she started racing enduro she got used to winding her levers right in close to the bars because she found that it helped alleviate hand pump on like longer stages because she was having to like physically reach and pull a lot shorter mm. but then i know other people like trials riders and stuff are famous for pinching fingers like yeah. hanging on run, the grip. I
1: run mine. I would say pretty close to the, and certainly not like I want. I don't want it biting on the grip, but I certainly run my levers like biting as quick as they can. But I have the the throw like almost as it's absolute minimum. So they're close, but they bite instantly. So there's like, very little um, movement in the pads. But while we're on the topic, what's the what's the wildest kind of one-off setup that you've heard of or witnessed? The wildest on someone's
0: one-off bite? Off setup who was it right, we'll get back to enduro but wasn't there a world cup downhiller i think he was spanish i want to say pascal who used to ride with his stem off center Mick pascal Mick pascal he yeah. was One, french
1: a few world cups but yeah there was a i don't know if it was true and i think this was in the days before you had direct mount stems it's almost so better
0: can, if it's not true
1: yeah i think it was in the days before direct mount stems so you could kind of offset it a little bit but apparently used to it was like slightly a couple of degrees out, but then he was one of these guys, dynamite
0: on courses that swung right. Yeah
1: From what I remember, he was one of these guys that y- you could put him on any bike, and he would still go like the clappers.:. Fernando like he, was just, yeah. he was one of those guys that he didn't seem to care too much about setup, Flat pedals, his feet at like 10 to two, and just <laughs> going like if anybody can dig out some of the old sprung videos of Mick Pascal. I think he rode for B1. It was this bright orange yeah. bike with a... Like, I remember really it. Black back of, end on it. Yeah, and some of the things he was pulling off in the kind of late 90s, just I'm amazing. Scanning
0: the, I'm scanning the frequencies for weird enduro setups at the minute. Vio's yeah. battery in Tweed Valley was pretty advanced. I enjoyed that. I think that's weird, though. I think that's just... That's not weird. That's, that's, weird. that's, just, ter- that's just turbo nibbles, in yeah, the Yeah, yeah. Um, Cody, yeah. Cody's brake setup, Zach's brake setup is bamboozling i'm always as well like i don't get heavily worn grips that mm. that upsets me a bit on a level no i'm
1: not going to name the rider but i remember one time hearing that somebody put more pressure on their front tire than their rear which
0: just no. threw me off entirely i no. was just like no <laughs> no 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 can't do it um some of the some of the front end heights have crept up a lot in enduro as well like we're seeing a lot of and i've actually come up a bit on my megatar and to me it looks a bit odd because i've got like a 30 mil rise bar and it's come up a bit but actually riding it i feel it's really helped yeah i do think as well though people
1: are really really guilty of setting a bike up that feels good when you ride it around the car park outside the shop yeah. And don't set it up for when you're going down a hill at like a 30, 40 degree angle.
0: Or when you drop it in slow motion on Instagram. People love that crack. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you mentioned Katie Winton. Also on the EWS YouTube is a little Ask Us Anything with herself and the effervescent Noga Karem. Um, that is, I don't think we've seen a pro women's team lineup as interesting as that before in enduro. Um, I think there's going to be there's going to be a lot of rivalry I think it's going to be a lot of positive rivalry and I'm fascinated to see how that one shakes out actually I think there's going to be a lot of difficulty in telling them apart on the
1: trail as well based on based on what I saw in that video it was uh, two <laughs> two riders of a similar stature and an identical kit both going very fast and it
0: was kind of like going with loads of energy shouting yeah, at each other yeah, yeah. yeah. It, yeah. that's well worth <laughs> checking out because you can tell that they're already they're already having a lot of fun together and they're both very, very funny, very entertaining people as we know, so that's worth watching. We've also um we sat down with Greg Callahan and we re-watched one of his runs from the uh SES race at the Nevis Range. And that was really interesting for me. Um, not to spoil it for anyone, but I mean, you know, you get used to watching onboards um a lot these days, you know, they're a key part of um mountain biking really with all the sort of camera technology we have now but the sheer amount of detail that he was pulling back Mm -hmm. from that stage that he'd practiced like once like Mm -hmm. it's unbelievable and you're you're deep like you know you're deep deep minutes into a stage and you'd be like yeah there's a tree on the right here you need to pull up past here you need to get onto the left hand side here and just talking i thought was quite interesting as well because his demeanor and a Greg's, you know, Greg's a very sort of like outgoing, funny guy. And he's got almost, he's quite deadpan in the video. But I think that is because that's his brain pulling back that info and sort of talking through his pace notes almost. You know, it's really interesting to watch. Mm.
1: Yeah, and it, yeah, it is really interesting. I mean, you watch it back and you see what he's thinking about, what he's, you know, lo- looking ahead for, preparing for. You kind of begin to get a bit of insight as to how kind of racers approach a stage that they don't know turn for turn rock for rock Mm -hmm. you know like and the use of say like running a a helmet camera in practice having that onboard footage and then watching it back the night before the race kind of planning you know i used to call it like green amber and red so like green was just nothing much to it flat out amber was like could change a little bit or you might need to slow down for something at race speed it might be a bit too much and Red was like you kind of need to learn it and it's really interesting seeing that and and the kind of I guess how they break down I mean Nevis Range I want to say was 20 was it about 25 minutes of racing? Like it was a relatively big race for one day I mean one stage was repeated so say you'd still be looking at close to 20 minutes of unique stages Uh and just how they have the ability to kind of learn each stage, not turn for turn or rock for rock, but just
0: key like points the... section to section. That's what I was interested You watch it and he's going from waypoint to waypoint and you can tell that the bits in between are feel and he's relying on the fact that he's a fast enough bike racer to haul through those corners. But then he'll, he'll spot a tree, as I say, or he'll spot something else. And that is like his marker for right. There's now something else coming up that I need to yeah. take note of and be yeah. on this side of the trail or that side of the trail. And
1: the easiest thing is as like on those kind of stages, the easiest thing as a racer is when the trail's quite narrow, so there's not a lot of room to move, and it is you you don't you don't switch off obviously because you're <laughs> going damn yeah. fast, but just where you don't have to plan or think about getting off the main line or preparing for something when you get those sections that are kind of flowy relatively narrow one lined but i would say to an extent have a kind of one speed Mm -hmm. it's like though when you see him ride he'll be going so fast you know how can you kind of mentally reset in a section like that but it is that ability of like you know what what might seem like a ridiculous speed to some people if there's nothing for him to think about, he just knows that's like what I would call the green section. Yeah. It's just, you've got a pace,
0: you ride it and you're already thinking ahead about like, it, it's, it's a quite a, my, my issue I think process. is that most things are kind of a very dark orange on that scale, <laughs> <laughs> nearly red. Um, Yeah. I mean, we're going to have to wrap this up shortly, but we need to just touch on briefly, like the season set up beautifully and that we're not missing anyone. Everyone's going fast. I mean, we just mentioned Greg. He's currently undefeated in the races that he's taken part in on the way into the season. Uh, Bex Barona, on Yeti, won here last time. Just won a race out in the States at, during her team camp. Um, Isabel Cordurier was here, uh, was in the valley, working on, in a very Vuyo no doubt inspired move, a separate setup before the tweed valley she's cut her bars down she's gone back and forth on some tire stuff some like getting comfortable on the bike um french champ um you know Isabel, slightly hamstrung last season but you really feel it's going to sort of make a good fist at imposing herself back into the the top of the pro women's race this year i mean Everyone's going fast. There's lots to look, for, look forward to. Um, as I say, please do subscribe to the, the YouTube channel. Uh, we're going to have a lot more onboards coming up, Like uh, the one I just mentioned, McGreg, along with all the, uh, the extra video stuff, the EWS show, of course, that's going to be and premiering soon. And uh, yeah, it's just all in front of us like a wheelbarrow now, isn't it? Only a couple of weeks. Riri, really. thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Rick. Let's go and get some lunch.